Revelation 2, 8 through 11. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is a message from the one who is the first and the last, who is dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Lord, we thank you for another day and another opportunity to be a light in the midst of darkness. Thank you for this reminder that despite our circumstances, we are indeed rich. Help us to endure suffering and remain faithful so that we may receive the crown of life. In your name, amen. Well, good morning, EVC. I'm so thankful you are here. Thankful for those of you who are watching online all over the place. I want to welcome you to our second service today. We had a great one starting off just, uh, just about an hour ago. And so thank you for coming today. We're in the middle of a series that is called Letters, and we're hearing from the Lord about an ancient message that he delivered to seven different churches. Those are represented uh, up here in front of us, if you're new here today and wondering what that is, that he gave to each of those churches. Specifically, Jesus spoke to them uh, through the Apostle John, and uh, we're discovering uh, that those messages are messages for our modern-day church, for us, you are the church, I'm the church, that he gave those messages for us. And so, again, I'm thankful that you are here. I met so many of you that are brand new today. Thank you for, uh, for uh, just letting me talk to you for a few minutes. I hope you really feel welcome. Well, how many of you remember a couple of years ago, I don't know how you'd forget this, but a couple of years ago, if you were around, we had a little something called Snowmageddon. Anybody remember that? Okay, it was a little bit of a miserable season around here. It was unusually cold uh, for a period of time. How many of you lost power? I think we all did, lost power. At my house, we lost power for about four or five days, which means we lost heat. It was really cold in there uh, in our house. We, uh, we were struggling, all right? And about the third day, there was another thing that I really started missing in the middle of that, and that was not only the heat, I was missing a good cup of coffee. You know, sometimes that just matters, right? And I, because you normally you have your coffee. I know that's a small thing, but at the time I was like, man, I'd do anything for a cup of coffee right now. And I remembered something. I couldn't make coffee because I had the electric coffee maker and, and it was cold and, and power was out. And then I thought, somebody gave me a French press. I remembered that. I don't even remember who it was, but somebody gave me a French press. I think I was thinking about regifting this to Pastor Randy at some point or whatever. Somebody gave me a French press, and I was like, oh, you know, I can boil some water. We've got coffee ground. You know, we got, I can, this is going to be great. I remember going in there, and uh, if you don't know what you do with one of these, basically you pull this out, right, and you put the coffee, the ground-up coffee that's in there. You don't just put the beans. You put the ground-up coffee. I boiled some water, put it in there, and then this goes in on top of that, and what you end up having is you have... You have ground up coffee beans, you have heat, you have some pressure, and then with some time, a little bit of time, you press, you press that coffee grounds through that, and it was just, I remember at that time, it, the coffee smelled so good in the middle of that hardship for a few days. I was like, oh, this smells so good that maybe was the best cup of coffee I ever had. It was just like awesome on that day. I mean, the process, you gotta love the process. Unless you're a coffee bean, that's not good, right? They get ground down, they get put in the, in the boiling water, they're in the heat, they're under pressure, they're under stress. 
all for somebody else's benefit of a good cup of coffee, right? And you may be thinking, what in the world does this have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, you'll, you'll understand here in just a second. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation, and we're going to be looking in chapter 2, and it's what Kara just read to us a moment ago, but we're going to begin to try to understand what the Lord wants to say to us through his word here, and this is what it says. In Revelation 2, Jesus writes these Jesus says these words, John records them, but Jesus is giving a message to the second church, which is Smyrna, the second church, and here's what he says. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from, and this is from Jesus, from the one who is the, what does it say, first and the last. The one who is the first and the last, who was dead, but is now what, church? He's alive. Remember, they were suffering. These believers were suffering. He's dead, but he is now alive. And I want you to say the next part of it with me out loud. Let's all say it together. I know about your, what does he say? Your suffering. Jesus is saying, I understand, church, what you're going through. This word suffering, this word, it literally is this word for press. It's pressure. It's a word that means crushed. You're being squeezed. The life is being squeezed out of you. Back in, uh, in this time, and they're still over there, and the, there were olive groves, right, in these particular areas. And specifically in this time of Jesus, they would have looked something kind of like this, okay? And you see you've got this, this beam that is used to put this other rock that is putting pressure upon the olives, and it is crushing them. It's crushing this and squeezing them, and this word is this, it's this same word that is related to this. So when this was being read to this church, they understood this word. You can even see that as they are crushed, there is this there is this red juice and this oil that is, is squeezed out of them. Isn't it interesting that in a place called Gethsemane, in Gethsemane, where Jesus, on the night of his arrest and his betrayal, uh, when his disciples abandoned him, when they, when they left him, right, in the middle of this, isn't it interesting that in the middle of this place, Jesus, as he was praying, had the weight of the world and the pressure of the world being pushed down upon him. And what do we know that in that that olive grove, what did he begin to experience? Blood was coming out of his sweat pores, right? He was being pressed. Isn't it interesting also that 700 years before that Isaiah said he would be pierced for our transgressions, he would be crushed, for our iniquities, this word for crushed, pressed, suffering, when this word was used, it was a word that metaphorically people in that time understood, you are under pressure like that olive press. And some of you, you can maybe relate to that kind of pressure in your life right now. Maybe you, you relate to this feeling this pressure that is upon you. And, and these believers, they were being, they were suffering, they were being persecuted because they identified with Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is, in the middle of this pressure that you're under, I couldn't get an, an olive press up here, so I had to settle for this, okay? But what he's saying is, I want you to understand that I know that you are suffering. I know that there is this pressure that is upon you. In fact, I've experienced a pressure of suffering like that, and I did that willingly for you. I experienced this, and so I get what you're going through. Earlier this year, we spent a whole series focusing on the kind of pressure that, that the church in the book of Acts, as they were growing and the movement of Christ was, was happening all over the world, we also, we, we as a church, we remembered and, and were in fellowship with believers all over the world who are currently going through suffering because they identify with Jesus. We did our persecuted church experience, and we wanted, and I, I believe the Lord was leading us to understand what it's like to suffer for Jesus. That, if, that in other places in the world, that if you bear the name of Christ, you most likely are going to suffer. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a minute. But these believers in Smyrna were experiencing this. Their light was burning 
bright in a place of darkness. Where is Smyrna? What was happening in that region? Well, uh, we like to kind of give you a little bit of context about that before we read further. Smyrna was around 40 or 50 miles north of where we were at last week in this series in Ephesus. You keep following up the coast there in modern-day Turkey, and this here is the modern city in Turkey of Izmir. It used to be called Smyrna, but now it's Izmir, which is the third largest city in, uh, in all of, of Turkey there. And so it's a mega city. There are like four and a half million people in that region, massive coastal city. And in the middle of this, there are the ruins of that that place called Smyrna. That is the marketplace. That's what's called the Agora. That is where you would buy and sell things. It was where people would come and do business. And this is where they were at. You see, what I'm wanting you to see when you look at this is to know that, that in this place, they were known for selling wine. They had a, they had a great uh, wine businesses that were happening there. They had a, a medical institute there that where people were being trained medically. What I'm wanting you to hear is that they were real people like us. There, there were educators that were there. There were those that were doctors. There were business people. There were everyday people that were in this place. You also should know about the people of Smyrna that they were fiercely loyal to the Roman Empire. They were very loyal and they were in a political kind of jockeying back and forth with Ephesus for political power with Rome as well as financial power. Smyrna, by the way, surpassed Ephesus because Ephesus' port Another coastal city was silted up, and so you can see that is their major port here today, in modern day. And so right in the middle of all this is this place where it was, it, those are real ruins. There were real people that were walking through that 2,000 years ago, wanting you to understand also that there was a very heavy Jewish presence. There were a lot of Jews that were there, and so they had a large Jewish synagogue in this area. Now, the reason that it's important that we address this is because we're gonna, we heard it a second ago, we're going to look at it again, and you're going to see that Jesus is going to speak to some of the opposition and the persecution. Where was some of that coming from? Why were they facing this? Well, what do we know about our faith? Our, our faith originated within Judaism, right? Jesus was the promised Messiah. Those that believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of that promised Messiah are Christians, and then there are those who rejected Jesus, and they are still waiting on their Messiah. We, we, we believe in Jesus as that Messiah. Now, what, the reason that's important is because Christianity, for some, was seen as a branch, just a branch that was kind of off of Judaism. The Romans viewed it that way, and in this time, those that were Jews in that place said, they're not a part of us. And so there was something that began to happen. There was persecution that started happening from the Roman government. These Christians were being pressed by the Roman government, and they also were being pressed by the Jews that were there. And so, and so they are under this pressure, being squeezed. The life is being squeezed out of them at this place. In fact, this is what we see in chapter Chapter 2, verse 9, look at what this verse says. Um, this is what Jesus says. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue, it was a big synagogue there, belongs to Satan. This is the, these are the words of Jesus. This word blasphemy, it's blasphemy because it's, it's, it's blasphemy in that these who were saying they were worshiping God were rejecting the one who, who is the king of the universe, Jesus. So they were speaking slander, that word blasphemy. Also, there's a relationship to slander. Some of your translations will say slander. They were slandering who Jesus is. They were slandering his followers. What is slander? Slander is spreading this character assassination. It's spreading malicious information that is not true about somebody in order to hurt them in some kind of way, speaking maliciously. And so these Christians, by the way, there have been some Christians who have used this verse as a justification for anti-Semitism, and you need to understand that this is, this is not a platform for that. That's not, who, who is Jewish? Jesus! <laughs> 
John, Peter. Okay, so this isn't anti-Semitic remarks. Jesus is speaking and he's Jewish. What he's saying is that those who were, those who say they are Jews, those who say they love God, they don't really love God. They're slandering the one true God's name. This is what he's saying. He says this, that their, their synagogue really is a, it's more like a, what? It's a synagogue that belongs to Satan. It's a house of Satan. The word Satan literally means adversary. They are, they are being used by Satan to stand in opposition to the way of Christianity that has been planted in this place. It's kind of like whenever Peter was trying to get in the way of Jesus and change Jesus' mind about going to the cross. And Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. Now, we know that Peter was not actually Satan there. What he's saying is you're, you're allowing Satan to try to thwart the message of the gospel and the mission, which is to redeem humanity here. It's to redeem humankind. And so, so this is kind of what's happening here. I'm just wanting you to understand. All of this was a catalyst for the pressure of persecution that these believers in Smyrna were facing. It was a catalyst. They were facing it from Rome. They were facing it from the Jews. They were being, they were being ostracized. They were being we learned last, uh, earlier this year, we learned that there are a couple of kinds of persecution that believers will face. One's called smash persecution, where they will go in and they will, they will beat you up. They will, they will destroy your churches. They will bulldoze. That's happening all over the world today. We learned that, right? And this was happening back then. There's also in places something that is called squeeze persecution. And squeeze would be more like this. Oh, you're a believer? You're going to follow Jesus? Then we're going to, we're going to, we're not going to do business with you. We're going to wreck your business. We're going to ask, and this was happening. They were facing smash persecution and squeeze persecution. Believers everywhere are still facing this, by the way. If you were to go into the book of Acts, we don't have time today, but go check it out for yourself and go to chapter 19 in the book of Acts. And what you'll find when the Ephesus church was being planted, the Ephesians, Paul planted it there. He spent three years with them, pouring into them, and it was growing at such a rapid rate that those that had a business for the temple of Diana or Artemis, read it, they got upset and they dragged Christians into that place I showed you last week, that amphitheater, and a riot ensued where they were wanting to kill those Christians. Do you know why? Because Christianity now was cutting into their business of idol making. And so just read it. And this kind of stuff happens still all over the world. So, so here's what I know, okay? I know for many of us that announcing here in the Eagle Mountain Saginaw uh, region that we live in, in North Texas, announcing that you are a follower of Christ is most likely not going to cause you massive problems. You might get a little bit of ridicule. You may have some that maybe look down on you if you say that you follow Jesus. And here's what I also know. I know that we live in a country, and you need to understand, we live in a country where things are changing. I think you can clearly see that's happening. You can see the things that are happening, and you can see that there are platforms that are being developed. And I am telling you, as I told you back earlier this year, they are platforms for persecution, and we should not be surprised when it happens. But we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared to suffer for Jesus. And so we can learn something from the church in Smyrna. Do you know this? You may, maybe many of you do, that you know that by the year 2070, and you may be thinking, I don't know about that, Bart. Do you realize that on the current trajectory that our nation is on when it comes to religion and it comes to what's happening here, by 2070, Christianity will be, if something doesn't change, will be the minority religion in this nation in which we live. And you may think, well, that doesn't, I'm not going to be alive then or whatever. No, but your kids will be and your grandkids and there will be others, and that should never be the way we think, right? We want to finish our race well. Do you understand, if you're a part of EBC, do you understand this is why we must keep planting churches? Amen, right? This is why we do EBC Go Gift. This is why we go. By 2050, Islam, if something doesn't change, Islam worldwide will surpass Christianity in the amount of people who follow that faith as opposed to follow Jesus Christ. If Jesus doesn't return before then, or if, if something doesn't change within our 
in, within our churches in understanding this. You say, Bart, why, I'm just wanting you to understand why it's imperative that we plant churches. It's imperative that we, that we keep growing. It's imperative that we make room for more people. Do you understand? It's imperative that we understand the people in our community and all over the world, they need to know about Jesus. It's important that we understand this, that this just isn't about us. Back, back in the summer, I visited North Africa. We're doing some work over there. Many of you know about that. And while Will and I were there getting ready to take some of you there who the Lord will call to, into that, we are partnering with, with some church planners that are there. This is what I learned while I, I was there. In the middle of persecution, in the middle of of, of some of them losing their families that have, have stopped associating with them, those church planters have planted over 500 churches in four years. I was blown away and I thought, man, we got a lot to learn from these Christians. I mean, I'm talking about myself, and I'm a church planter. You know, I was there to maybe kind of teach them some things. I was like, you guys need to teach us. We need to learn from you. While I was also there, we met with the family of uh, an actually a young woman whose father named Abdurrahman, many of you prayed for him. He was in prison for distributing. You know what he was distributing? It was an illegal product over there. That. And he was on trial for his life. They were calling him an unrepentant apostate. And what that means is that if you don't repent, you will be put to death. Many of you prayed for him. We prayed for him through some uh, and through other acts of diplomacy. And Abdurrahman was released and he is alive and well today. I praise God for that. But while I was there, it just awakened me to how real this is. And I think, it not it easy for us in our churches here in the West and in America? Yes, we may see some pressure and more of that is happening, but it's just easy for us to get focused on some of the things, let's get real, that can be so minor, you know? And, uh, and so what we find in this passage is there is, there is this pressure that these believers in Smyrna were facing. And some of you, maybe it's not a pressure because you identify with Jesus, but here is what I did feel this week as I was preparing this, excuse me, and praying for us, praying for you. I, I had a sense, and I told our worship team this this morning, that there are some of you, there are many of you who are here this morning, and I know this, that it may not be a persecution that you are under pressure but it could just be because we live in a broken, messed up world, don't we? All of us do. And some of you are feeling like you can identify with the press. And life is just squeezing you right now. And you feel this pressure and you feel this weight that is just heavy upon you. It might be that, that the life is heated up for you. It could be your marriage is just falling apart and you're trying to fix it and it seems like it's out of control and pressure. Or maybe one of your kids, there's something that's happening with one of them and that's like one of the worst things when we watch our kids go through things and we want to fix it and we're like, we can't control something. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? And it's just pressure. It could be some of you, it's just this season of inflation has caught up with you and your household and there's more bills at the end of the month, and you are feeling the pressure that is weighing you down. For some of us, it's crushing the life out of us. We have a hard time being joyful right now. Maybe for some, it's just this season that you are in, and you are battling with mental health issues, or, or someone you love is, and you'd, you just you wish you could fix it, but it seems like it's getting worse, spiraling in your way of thinking out of control, and you're just like, man, I just don't know what to do with this depression, or this anxiety that just keeps overwhelming me. Some, it may be a season of alcoholism, or addiction that is pressing you and your family down and you're feeling this and it's just like, Lord, I just don't know how, how I'm going to handle this. 
there are so many different ways that we can be pressed down. So many ways that, that we struggle. Maybe it's a medical thing that you're worried about that you just found out about, about yourself or even, it's even harder when it's somebody that we love, right? These different ways. What would Jesus say to you if you are in a place of suffering? What would he say? Would he, would he just be like, just get over it? Or what would he say if you are feeling this pressure down upon you? Could it be possible that the words that, yes, he spoke to believers who were pressed down because they were suffering for his name, but could there be things that would be applicable for us in this context in which we live today? Go back to the words of Jesus in verse 8. I want to give you some bigger picture way of thinking about what you're going through today. Actually, Jesus wants to give this to you. He says in verse 8, this is what Jesus says. This is the message from the one who is the, the first and the last. He's like, I want to just zoom everything out for you a little bit because we get so focused in on, on what's happening right now. I got to give you a bigger picture. That's what Jesus will do. Every one of these churches, he will come to them and whatever issue it is that he is speaking to them about he will first begin his letter by identifying how he directly, because of his character, speaks right into that issue. Here, he speaks into Ephesus, and now this church that is suffering, he's saying to them, you got to remember something. I'm the first and the last. you got to remember something about me and my power. you got to remember and think about something right now, that I was the one who willingly died for you. I allowed humanity to crush me for you so that you and I could live eternally with him. And he says, I, I want to remind you not just about what happened when I died. What you really need to focus on is who I am right now. I am, what does it say? I am alive. You see, it says now. He's alive, church, amen, right? We don't just celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on some Sunday in March or, or, or April. Every day, Christian, we have to anchor in on the fact that Jesus is alive. He lives within you. He is the living Savior who is walking among us as we speak, right? He deserves our best. He's alive. This is what Jesus was saying. He said, I died. I was crushed by death but I'm alive and you've got, to, you've got to remember that. You've got to choose to receive this. I defeated your worst enemy, which was sin and death, which had you separated from me. I stepped in and I did something about it. Why? Because I love you and I want you with me forever. Here's what you got to know. Our worst enemy was defeated by Jesus. Death defeated and swallowed up. It was defeated and swallowed up by life because of Jesus. Death, where, oh, death is your victory. Where, oh, death is your sting. These are the kinds of things that Paul would say. Smyrna believers found comfort in these words. They, they were finding comfort in understanding Jesus' current status. That's what we have to anchor in. Not only his current status, but also that he was giving them an awareness that he had knowledge, awareness of their current condition. He's saying, when you're suffering, you gotta know who I am right now, and you need to understand something too. I know what you're dealing with. I know what you're going through. Look at verse nine. I want you to envision this, these churches, okay? They weren't in big buildings like this. They were in homes at the time, and as they were meeting, many of them were in rags. They had been ostracized by their families. They were suffering. They didn't have enough money. They were struggling. Their businesses, some of them, they lost that. And I want you to envision them huddled around maybe a fire in that place, and they're wondering if they're going to live through this, and this is the message that was delivered to them. I know about your suffering. I know what you're going through. I know about your poverty, that you're having a hard time putting 
food on the table right now. And I wondered if that was being read, if they began to weep. And then Jesus said these words to them. But, say it with me. What does it say up there? But you are. I wonder if some of them were like, what? I don't feel very rich. Or I wonder if they were suffering so well. By the way, I believe they were suffering well. You know why? Because in each of these churches, Jesus will give a correction. There is only two churches he does not correct. Smyrna, who was suffering persecution. Philadelphia, that was suffering persecution. He doesn't correct them. He praises them for suffering well. He commends them. He says what you guys are doing. I wonder if they wept in that moment where he's saying, I'm aware. I know you've lost your business. I know you've lost this. I know your poverty. But I got to tell you something. Because of what I did for you on the cross and that I am who I am, because you understand this about me that I have overcome sin and death, I need you to know something. You are internally rich, and it goes beyond a wealth that this world will pursue, an external wealth that we will pursue, many of us, above everything else. And he's saying, if that's your pursuit, you're, you're chasing the wrong thing. Maybe like Smyrna today, you're in a season where you just need to hear some words from Jesus. You're feeling pressure in some kind of way. And the words from Jesus is what he's saying to you this morning. I see you. I I see what you're struggling with. I haven't forgotten you. I'm not ignoring you. Jesus is saying, I see you and know about the MRI that's coming. I know about the problem that's going on with your boss at work. I know the pressure that you are under where you're just getting squeezed in this tough environment where you work or maybe you're getting laughed at because you will take a stand for your values. Jesus is saying, I know, I know, I know. The reason this is important because sometimes when we suffer, isn't it true? When we suffer, sometimes it feels like there's silence. And he's speaking into the silence and he's saying, I want you to get that I understand what you're dealing with and I want you to know something. The world may tell you that you are poor by external standards, but I adopted you into my family. You're my son. You're my daughter. You are, you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. And here's what he's saying. That means this. You are rich. You're rich. It goes beyond and doesn't have anything to do with what's in your bank account. That's, that's what he's saying. Jesus is affirming that they are suffering well for him. What, what is he talking about here? It, it's this. And if, if you've been through some hard times or you've watched somebody go through hard times, have you ever seen two people go through the exact same thing and one, they just fall all apart, and, the, and, and that happens, right? And then there are those that just who are so anchored in their faith that it's the same hardship, but there's joy in their life. It's a joy even in the middle of difficulty. It's a peace even when it feels like a storm is raging all around us, it's, and there's chaos. It's, it's a, the ability to be able to praise God, and I've seen this, right? To praise God even though you may feel like you're hurting and grieving. Scripture would say we grieve. It's not putting on a fake smile. It's not pretending that things aren't, are, are, are good all the time. That's not what is being said here. You're going to see that. But there's something that is happening inside of this one that is making that light burn brighter in the middle of darkness. Have you ever been around a believer that they are going through one of the hardest things that you can't even conceive, and yet they still have some kind of joy that you just go, man, I wish I had that. I need that. You realize this, that the light gets brighter for those who suffer well. For those who suffer well. My wife, Hope, She said something really profound in a Bible study. I wasn't with her, but she told me what she said. She said this. She said in her Bible study with some women at school, she said to them, you can't 
out dark the light. I thought, man, that's profound. Let's make t-shirts. No. Um, <laughs> you can't out dark the light. It's like when that light is there, it disperses the darkness. It pushes out the darkness. When we, when we suffer well, it's the ability to have this strange peace shining brightly. Isn't our world chaotic? Man, it's so messed up. What would it look like if in all the chaos, the people of Eagle's view and those who are believers, even though we go through the same hardships, were stable and steadfast? Not fake, just stable, anchored, right? This is what it's getting at here. I, I want this to be said about me. I want my kids to think about when hardship happens, man, dad and mom were solid. They still went through stuff, but man, they were solid. I want my grandkids to think that way. You know what I'm saying? It's a legacy of, of some. I want that to burn bright. You're saying, Bart, is it possible for people to say ugly things about you? Ugly things about you and not have to get ugly back? Is it possible to, to maybe for somebody else to be on the warpath and you're saying, I don't have to be on the warpath too? Are you saying it's possible to praise God in spite of the pain and the pressure that I'm under? Is it possible to go through financial shortage and still choose to be joyful? Is that even possible? I believe these believers in Smyrna show us that it is. In fact, believers all over the world do. Something interesting, just really quick side note. The Apostle Paul, remember, had planted the church in Ephesus and was making disciples that were making disciples, and it was spreading in that region very rapidly, and so people were facing persecution. Paul was one of those that was being persecuted in this time. And Paul would write many different letters, and one of the times when he was in Ephesus, he wrote a letter to Corinth. He wrote a second letter to Corinth when he went a little further up north into Macedonia. And the second letter, Paul said this, and I want you to listen to the similarities of what Paul would say to what Jesus was saying to the believers in Smyrna. It was the same region there. Think about this. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 6, we serve God whether people honor us or despise us. Whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest. Do you see that word slander? We are honest, but they call us imposters. Paul's saying we're ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death but we are still alive. If you know Paul's story, you know that he, they, they, they beat him. He, he faced death on many, many faces, right? We've been beaten, but we have not been killed. It's like, it's bad, man. But, but it could be worse, is what he's saying, if I didn't have Jesus. We've been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. Look at this next part. We own nothing. He's talking about material stuff. It all been taken from them. And yet, say it with me. What does he say? We have everything. Do you know why he could say we have everything? Do you know why you can say, no matter what you're facing today, you have everything? If you are in Jesus Christ, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, you have everything. That's what he's saying. You have everything. This stuff, it all passes away. But Jesus does not. This is where he's getting at. Paul would go on, if you know, in, the, in, these, in this books to the, uh, these letters to the Corinthians, he would say, man, we've been, we're being crushed We've been struck down. We're being whipped. Let me tell you what I went through. But he would say this, but we're not abandoned. Jesus has never left us. Then he would say this, this is, and this is going to speak to some of you if you're suffering today, this is why we never give up, Christian. That's why Smyrna didn't allow Satan to snuff the light out as they suffered, I believe it burned brighter. This is why we never quit. We never quit. We never give up. 
though, look, this sounds harsh. It sounds tough. Though our bodies are dying. We're getting beaten. We're being persecuted. Our spirits, though, the inside's being renewed by Jesus every single day. You see that? For our present trouble. He's not ignoring trouble. He's acknowledging it. But what he's going to do is he's going to put present trouble in context and in perspective with a greater reality of who his Savior is. So he says, these present troubles are small. Didn't we just hear this guy saying he's getting beaten? They took everything from him? Is he delusional? That doesn't sound like a small problem. But he says they're small, and this is what's going to minister to some of you today in the context of Jesus and his greatness, and they're temporary. They won't last very long. It may feel like an eternity right now that what he's saying is, you've got to think, why did Jesus say, I'm the one that started all this, I'm the first, and I'm the one that's after all this. There's never been a time when I have not been. And this is what he's saying. Think about me. So Paul's going to give us a solution of what do we do in times like this. Yet these problems, here's what they do. They're producing something in us. Produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. If you know the context of this, Paul is saying the troubles and the crushing that we have experienced is the reason why the people in Corinth had come to know Jesus. And he's saying, you are the beneficiary. So we don't look at the trouble. He's not saying ignore it. He's just saying we make a choice. We make a choice. We don't look at the trouble. We can see now, rather, what do we do? We don't fixate on all the the stuff. We fixate on the one who is eternal. The gaze, our gaze is on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever and, and this is what Paul is saying. This is, this is how we handle the pressure. This is what we do if you are in hardship right now. And you need to know something that that, that can be hard to seek to do in our own power. But you need to know that if you are in Jesus Christ, you have been promised the Holy Spirit who will help you do all things. That's why he said, I can do all things through Christ. It's in this kind of context. What does Jesus want? From us in this. Jesus calls us to suffer well for him. He calls us to suffer well for him. And what I realized this week as I was preparing this, I realized how much I need to grow in this. I need to fire the inner complainer that is within me. That guy needs to go. And what's interesting is Jesus said, Paul wrote this in Galatians, I have been crucified. Do you realize it's already happened? We just have to believe and realize it has happened. That that inner flesh, that man, that guy that just likes to be a control freak, that just likes to complain about everything. I mean, I got problems with this. I realized this. I was under conviction this week. I need to, I need to let that guy go. How many of you are with me in that, right? You think, we, you think we got some more? I was like, I want this for me. I want this for EBC. I want this for you. I want this inner wealth for you. I want to let that inner control freak go. I just want him to go. And, and, and how, can, how can I be in possession of nothing yet still be rich? This is what Jesus says. Back to the text. We'll wrap this up, okay? Here we go. How does that happen? Jesus is going to tell us. Be fearless. Be fearless in the face of your hardship as you face it. Be fearless. Now you be, how do I do do that? Okay, because I feel anxious. I feel overwhelmed. Look at what he says, verse 10. Don't be afraid. Man, this next part, I wish he said it a little different, but he doesn't. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Wouldn't it have been great if he would have said, don't be afraid because you're not going to suffer. That is not what he said. Christians, we're called to suffer well for him. 
And sometimes that's when the light burns brightest. Okay? The devil will throw some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. You will suffer. What's the 10 days? What's all this? Okay, there's some that believe the 10 days is a a literal 10 days that was for those believers there. There are some that believe uh, that it's, it's more figurative in the sense that maybe it relates to the 10 different Roman emperors in those seasons from 54 AD all the way to 324 when Constantine became the first Christian emperor. I don't know what it means. Here is what I know the bigger picture of what it means. It means this. The suffering we will go through in the grand scheme of eternity is temporary. We do and can pull that from that passage. Agreed? Right? I mean, I don't want to get dogmatic about certain things. What I know the greater context is this. You're going to suffer, but it is going to be temporal. You're going to go through hardship because this world is broken. It's the big picture of hardship is temporary. And he's saying you've got you to zoom out in the sense of knowing what Jesus has done and knowing what the end of the book says. Because if you keep reading the book of Revelation, Jesus will say, remember he's the first and the last. He will say there is a time that is coming where there will be no more suffering. There will be no more cancer treatments. There will be no more sickness, no more weeping, no more crying, no more broken relationships. What Jesus did, he said, I came to fix all of that. In the meantime, while you wait for me to come back, suffer well for me. And know that I am victorious in this. In the process, don't be afraid. What you got to do is you got to trust me. I struggle with anxiety a lot, okay? And, and, and it's this inner control freak of things that start feeling out of control. Some of you can relate to this. And what I realize in that moment of, of waking up, struggling in the middle of the night, and I can't sleep and all this, is there is a choice at that point for me that I either am going to let that guy go and, or, or I'm going to indulge that more and feed the, the fire of that Or I'm going to release that and I'm going to say in the moment of this, I'm letting this stuff go and I'm I'm going to trust you. I don't understand it right now. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you are the first and the last. You are sovereign. You are not only sovereign, you know everything. You know what I'm dealing with right now. Jesus is saying to these faithful believers, he's saying, trust me. And then he's going to say this. Verse 10, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. In this area, they had Olympic games that were going on every four or five years. And those Olympians would be given this crown at that judgment seat. There's two judgment seats, okay? There's the great white throne judgment that is for non-believers. And if you're a believer, there is called the judgment seat of Christ. And this is where you and I, for our faithfulness, we are by our Savior rewarded. He rewards your faithfulness. You may be thinking, that better be a good hat, man. (laughs) That better be a good hat. It's this idea of reward, Okay, it's not if you persevere, that's how you get to heaven. No, that's not what's being said. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious, let me ask you a question. If you are in Jesus Christ right now, my question is, are you victorious right now? What do you think? Yes. If you're in Jesus, you're victorious now, and you will not be harmed by the second death. What's the first death? It's the physical death that all of us will experience because these bodies are broken. The second death is a separation from He fixed that problem. You stand victorious. Be faithful till he comes back. Be fearless. And be faithful to the finish line. Be fearless and be faithful to the finish line. 
And here's your last thought. Your last thought is this. It's a choice. Jesus was saying he's sovereign. Jesus was saying he's present. We must, as we, if we're going to be fearless and we're going to be faithful, we must choose to trust in his power today, if you're suffering today. And we must choose to rest in his presence today. These are the very things that he said into that church today. Be faithful and you will burn bright. So as we pray together, I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. And I, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't minimize the problems and the pressure that you feel under today. Jesus isn't minimizing that. He is fully aware of what you are experiencing today. But I want you to know that he is present with you right now. And in this moment, in this moment, he is seeking to encourage your spirit. Some of you have been anxious about this and you're Listen, if there's something you can do about your problem, by all means, do it. Do what you can do. But if there's something that you don't have any control over, why do we wear ourselves out over these things? Rest in him right now. He says, bring your burden to me. Peter writes, cast all your anxieties, your cares upon me. Lay this down at his feet. What I want you to do is not carry your problems. I want you to carry your cross. Some of you have never put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. He came so you wouldn't have to experience that second death. He came to be present with you in your current problems. You need to put your faith in Jesus today and say, Jesus, I believe you are the Messiah. I receive you into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I want to follow you as best as I know how. Jesus, you are my Lord. Tell him that today. Step across that line in faith. And he promises you that he will come in now and that you will be with him forever in eternity. So, Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement today. I pray you comfort your church. I pray for believers all over the world who are suffering for you. Lord, may our light not be snuffed out because of our complaints and our whining and and, and Lord, the things that I have a tendency to lean towards in times of hardship. Lord, instead, may we be stable. May we be steadfast. Lord, may we anchor ourselves in the resurrected King. And may we praise you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. And God's people said together.